invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis 11. We're going to actually read some Bible and then we're going to hear some things that hopefully uh, God can stir us with from the Bible. Imagine that. Hey, the, the guys this morning were great, eh? Platform of Scripture just and partnering together, showing us the whole the structure within the local and then how that local partners with the translocal. I just love that platform. It's such an easy place to work from. Um, so what I want to do is probably pull some of those threads together and, and help us Just move forwards in that in that togetherness. So why don't you open to Genesis 11. We're going to just read eight verses there. Not COVID, being tested. <laughs> it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built and the Lord said behold they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. <clears throat> There's a few things I just want to pick out of there. Verse 1 says the, the whole earth. That's pretty inclusive. If I was to ask this morning, if you are part of the whole earth, would you raise your hand? All of us would have to raise our hand. That is, you could not be more inclusive than the whole earth. That's everything, everyone. We are part of it. And it says that in that inclusive realm, there was one language and the same words. And then in the next few verses, we read three times the statement was made, let us, let us. And each time that statement is made, there was a common task and a common goal associated with us. So one 
the whole earth, one people, one language, common goal, common task. Let us do this task together. It was a unifying of the included. Right? Still with me? It's a statement of unity. Let us. Let us. Now we know unity is a good thing. Right? Unity in our home life. Unity in our family. Unity in our church. Unity in our person. Unity is a good thing. So then you read a passage like this and you think, well, if unity is so good and unity is something we should strive for and, and try and attain and it's a good goal, why did God disperse people that had unity? And verse 4 shows us something of that because it, it tells us further on there that God came down to just have a look around the city and to see what they'd been building but then when he spoke, he, he didn't speak in reference to what they'd been building. He spoke in reference to their unity. He didn't come down and admire the building. He didn't come down and say it's a terrible building. He didn't come down and comment on the structures or the city or anything else. What he spoke into was the united front of those people. And he cut to the core of the issue by revealing the motive of what it was that had united them. So they were united in this task. Let us, let us, let us. Their, their goal was that they had this common task, this common uh, agenda. They wanted to build this building and they were united around that. But the, actually, statement number three reveals the true nature of their unity when they said come let us build a name for ourselves and that is when God got involved and came down to have a look around and he doesn't say I don't like the building he doesn't say I don't like your city he doesn't say I don't like your unity in fact he says God recognises, verse 6, they are one people with one language. And he says, when there are one people with one language, this is only the beginning of what they will do. He says, when there is one people with one language, and when there is a unity around a common goal and a common task, nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. The problem was not their unity. The problem was the goal of their unity. And I believe God is wanting to bring a unity back to the people of God on the earth, but with a common goal and a common task that is not, let's build a name for ourselves, but let's Show the name of Jesus Christ to all the whole earth. But gets back to that verse one, whole earth. It's so inclusive. God wants to, us to take his son, 
his name, not building a name for ourselves, but revealing his name to the whole earth. See, there is absolute power in unity, but unity has to have the correct focus, has to be pointed. We have to be united around the right things, the the right cause, the right... I mean, we know that Jesus is much bigger than a cause. They had a cause, we have Jesus. Uniting around Christ, uniting around this revealing of Christ. And you know, if we can grow up, as we heard Darren telling us this morning, if we can grow up to the point where as the church on this planet, we can get back to having one people, one language, then God is saying for his church, his bride, this is only the beginning of what you can do. And nothing you propose will be impossible. But we've got to maintain that unity of heart that says, I am never, ever, ever going to try and build a name for myself. If we can gain the power of unity and can maintain the godly purpose of making his name great instead of building a name for ourselves, this is only the beginning. Nothing is impossible. So we've got to keep our motive focused on God, his name, his kingdom. When we keep the, his name, his kingdom, when we keep those things the goal, then God will not come down and look at our cities and, and say, I need to bring disunity here. I need to scatter. I need to confuse. I need to, to bring multiple languages. He won't do that because the common goal is his glory. And now, when we align with that goal, that's his goal, <laughs> his glory. So when we align as the body of Christ, when we align with the mission of Christ, with the purpose of Christ, with the goal of God, then there's no reason for God to come and cause any kind of dispersion. We can maintain the unity by maintaining the motive of being focused on God and glorifying his name and revealing his kingdom. And in that, we can not just maintain, we can sustain the increased outpourings of his glory on his people because we simply have no desire to make a name for ourselves. If we have any kind of desire to make a name for ourselves, uh, guys have mentioned this morning, I think Matt said he's been in pastoral ministry full-time 14 years. He's seen a few things in 14 years. Darren didn't tell us how long he's been, but you know, we, we, none of us is getting any younger, right? Huh? I've been around a few mountains a few times, <laughs> lost a few hairs in the process. Thank you, COVID. <clears throat> One of the things I've learned in those round the mountains is that wherever there's a desire to make a name for ourselves, the only fruit we will ever see is division, confusion, and scattering. It's in scripture, it's in history. Why on earth would we look at something in Scripture, 
see it in history, and then think we can get away with doing it again and get a different result. See, we read scriptures like uh, where there's unity, uh, the, be- the, the, the oil is poured out on the head and flows through the beard, and, and we read things like that, and we say, yes, I want the oil, I want the presence, I, I want all that, and you know what I felt God say to me? <laughs> if we want those things so much, why do we keep doing the things that stop it? Because there's things we do that stop that unity. And most of them are in Scripture. They're in there, they're clear, they're taught to us. Do these things to maintain unity. Don't do these things to destroy unity. But all through the body of Christ, I mean, honestly, full-time pastors dealing with issues in your churches, how many issues would you not have to deal with if everybody in our church's goal was unity all the time? And we wonder why this is hard. <laughs> so the Bible's full of keys to achieving and maintaining unity of faith and purpose. And I love that Darren looked at Ephesians 4 with us this morning. That was actually one of my passages right here that I had ready to read this morning. That whole first eight verses or so tells us that one of the major points of apostolic leadership is to bring and maintain and sustain unity among the saints so that the presence of God can be tangibly manifest among the saints. We take out unity, we take out the presence of God. If we want the presence of God, we need to have unity as a goal and a priority that says, you know what, just before I do this, I'm going to think about, is this good for the unity in the body? Because if it's not, then I'm undermining the presence of God for our moment. But if this is good for unity, then that's good. I'm helping and, and bringing and sustaining the presence of God instead of cutting across. It says he gave apostles and he gave prophets he gave the evangelist he gave shepherds he gave teachers now we all want those (laughs) don't we until the apostle comes and stirs our foundation until the prophet comes with a word we didn't ask for My text must have got lost last night, Cliff. I did send you a text for what God was going to speak to me, but you didn't bring it, so. We all want the evangelist, right? Because we want the evangelist to come and do, do their job and get people saved and see our church grow. But then when we understand scripture, we realize that actually the evangelist comes to equip us to do the work of evangelism. Then we don't want the evangelist at all. Because I don't want to do that. I just want to turn up on every fifth Sunday because every fifth Sunday is consistent. (laughs) Or we all want the shepherd. Don't we all want the shepherd? We all want the shepherd to just pat us on our head. It's much easier with our hair on it. We, We all want that shepherd to just love us and tell us we're awesome. But what if we're not awesome? 
What if the role we need from the shepherd today is to actually just adjust us? The rod and the staff. We're like, oh, I just need to tell you this is what I'm doing in my life. And we go, okay. Are you going to speak into it? Well, you didn't ask a question. What do you want me to say? Like, if, you, if this is just for the sake of conversation, then by all means. But we don't want the shepherd that adjusts and corrects, but that's what the Bible tells us. Are we all, the teacher, we, all, we love the teacher. They're, they're just conservative. They're quiet. They're nice. <laughs> I'm assuming that voice was Russ Doty. And, and can I just say that Russ Doty is probably one of the most significant pastor teachers that I know that on this planet. But he's not that nice sometimes. (laughs) But we all love the pastor teacher when when they're pastoring us the way we want to and when they're teaching what we like. But what happens when they're teaching something we don't like? Then it's time for us to say, for the sake of unity, which brings and sustains the presence of God then I need to embrace what the teacher is bringing despite the fact it's not my favourite topic today. And then if we add in, like verse 11, that was the gifts, then verse 12 tells us why he gave us those gifts. Now this can be really, really empowering or really, really offensive. Because he didn't give the gifts just to make the churches big. He didn't give the gifts just so that more people would be attracted by the bigger, better gifts. He gave the gifts to equip the saints. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay, well, I'm a saint and I'm equipped, okay? Then it clarifies. I love the way the scriptures just go, here's a bit. You got that? All right, here's a bit more. (laughs) You got that? Right, absorb this. Do you need that a second time, Jimmy? Strike the ground. So it's not just to equip the saints. It's to equip the saints for the work. And not just any work. The work of the ministry. You know, when I I was much younger and cheekier. Oh, come on. I'm a conservative, mild-mannered ex-accountant. You went very quiet. That was all true. When I first started leading a church, I had the audacity to turn up on a Sunday with a whiteboard. And I stood in that service and I said, okay, guys, I'm new to this. I've never been a a pastor in a church before. I've never led a team that leads or whatever. I had all the right terminology. I didn't have a team, so I was leading. (laughs) I've never done this before, so I need your help. Please help me by giving me my job description. What is it that I am supposed to do? And people with, oh, you've got to, you do, you got to do the, you know, the read the Bible, right? Read the Bible. 
You gotta teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. You gotta preach the gospel. You gotta preach the gospel. You gotta reach the lost. Reach the lost. Have tea with grandma. Have tea with grandma. It didn't take long with people yelling at me to fill the whiteboard with my task list. Then I read this and said, right, my goal is to equip you to do that. <laughs> and when you are doing that, it tells us, <laughs> yeah, the, the 50 people is now five. <laughs> When you are doing that, it tells us here that it will be building up the body of Christ. Until, because people say, oh, the, you know, the gifts, they're, they're historic, that was back then, that's not for now. Again, the Bible goes, oh, you want to argue this, I'll just clarify. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Does, has the body of Christ today attained unity of the faith? And the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, here you go, you would say, oh, I'm pretty mature, yeah, I've got good knowledge of the Son of God, I understand that, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Because that's when, <laughs> that's when, and it goes on and talks about, so we'll no longer be tossed around and you know, what that's saying is we'll no longer be immature We'll, we'll no longer be being led astray by all this selfish stuff that cuts against our unity, that cuts against the presence of God, that leaves the church powerless, disarmed and useless and ineffective. Thank you. I just want to come down there and talk to you. <clears throat> Let's read another little verse in, in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 17, you're going to love this one. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this, and often when I've heard this message, this point preached, it stops at given account. But there's another little tag there. It says, let them, as in you saints who are told to obey your leaders and submit to them, because they have to give an account, but what do you have to do? You have to let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I think we read that and think, oh, so we can't do any groaning. No, no, it's talking about your leaders not groaning. Which means if we don't obey our leaders, and you know, I'm, I'm talking about biblical leaders, okay, not clowns who just push people around all the time. I'm talking about biblical leadership here. Let's, let's make that assumption of foundation. When, if we don't obey them, if we don't submit to them, there's a fair chance they're groaning about us. I don't, I don't, it's not my goal to hear that Tyron's groaning about me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's, 
I'm not standing here looking for the death stare. How much groaning am I? I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Torrent doesn't have a real good poker face. <laughs> if, if he's not jazzed when you're preaching, you know he's not jazzed when you're preaching. <laughs> and I'm not standing here this morning going, or this afternoon, whatever it is, going, right, how, how disjazzed can I make Torrent? <laughs> I hope he's groaning by the end of this. No, I want to bless and strengthen and encourage and I want him to be able to celebrate and go, man, I didn't have to do all the preaching at this equip because I have a team and my team are good and they preach good and they brought the word and they brought the truth and they brought the presence and they brought the power and all of those things. It's not my goal to make anybody groan. You know, Exodus 14 gives us a little picture of, uh, you know, when people groan about leaders. And I think we've probably all heard that preached. It tells us very clearly in Exodus 14 that God was not amused when he heard his people sledging his leaders. That actually brought disunity. Dispersion. So let's not do that. But let's also, as followers, and we are all followers, even if we are leaders... As followers, and we're all following somebody, let's make sure we're making it a joy for our leaders to lead us and they're not groaning about us because they're our leaders. Moving on, moving on. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 to 16 tells us to be good servants of Christ. And to be good servants of Christ, it tells us there are some things we need to put forward, some things we need to teach, some things we should command and some things we should teach. And what I want to say is, just on this topic of unity, sometimes for the sake of unity, we need to teach and we need to put out some good things and we need to command some things that isn't always what everybody wants to hear, but it's what we need to to, to put into our lives for the sake of the unity of the body. What won't we address or teach or confront or correct? When 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 16 tells us we should teach, address, confront and correct. See, the things we won't address, we actually need to learn to tolerate. Because if we won't bring the adjustment, then those things are going to exist. And now we need to uh, learn how to tolerate them. This, this is linking leadership and unity, right? 2 Timothy 2 verse 14 tells us to be workers approved by God and it says to be a worker approved by God, remind them of these things. Charge them before God. It, it means we have to be active in this pursuit of unity. We need to do some things. One Timothy, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 actually shows us what a good servant and an approved worker looks like. It says, preach the word. If we want to be a good servant, if we want to be a, an approved worker, we need to preach the word in whatever our context is. Now, for some of us, we're pastors in churches. Preaching the word is a given. 
What if you're an accountant? Preaching the word is still a given. What if you're a professional musician? Preaching the word is still a given. As well, what if, what if you're just a stay-at-home mum? Preaching the word is still a given. We need kids who had the word preached to them. We can't assume somebody else will do it. It says in our preaching, reprove, rebuke, exhort. If we, if we fear humans so much and if we desire and crave human attention so much that we can't reprove, rebuke and exhort... We need to adjust because the Bible commands us to do these things. They're not fun. I mean, I'm not walking around all the time looking for a fight, though if you were at my church on Sunday, you might think maybe I am. I'm not. But we are encouraged, commanded to reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. If we won't teach, we're going to tolerate. Be sober-minded, endure suffering. Oh, don't we love that? Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Whatever your ministry is, wherever your ministry place is, fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Now, I know there's some people, you've got to be careful preaching this because they're like, I just can't wait to do some reproofing and correcting. <laughs> I've got the, the baseball bat version of the Bible and I can't wait to inflict it. But it says training in righteousness so that we will be competent and equipped. Why is the church often not competent or not equipped? Well, because we have people who weren't willing to teach reproof correct weren't willing to bring adjustments. So instead of bringing adjustment, we're having to tolerate too many things. Uh, <laughs> There's so much you could say on this topic, but I think sometimes we just need to get to the point of realising I need to adjust and then give God an opportunity to adjust us. <laughs> now, in our church at home, we've been working through a, a series in the book of Acts and we just looked at Acts 27. If you're familiar with Acts, you know that 27 is a, it's a real highlight for Paul's life. It's a shipwreck because <clears throat> we all love a shipwreck right, when we're not on it. But he was on it. And uh, everything was going against them. It was just a tempestuous wind was the scripture word there. It was a disaster about to happen and Paul takes a moment and he encourages those on board the ship and he, there's three little points to his encouragement. The first thing he says to them is take heart. Take heart, be bold, have some courage. The second thing he says to them is when he says if, if these guys leave, he's speaking, of the, he's speaking to the centurion about the sailors. The sailors are the guy, we're just out of here. We can't handle the pressure. We're the ones who've got the skills to sail a ship. We know this ship's in trouble. We're out of here. So they're going to bail. And he says to the centurion, if these guys leave, 
none of us are going to survive. But two verses earlier, he'd said, God's told me we're all going to survive. Now, if that does not link the obedience of humans to the purposes of God, I don't know what does. Because he says, I promise you, you will all survive. But make sure they don't leave, or you won't. Because <laughs> we have a role in the body of Christ to see the promises of God delivered. Now, God's promise to us is nothing will be impossible. But our role is unity. Whatever we need to do for the sake of unity, we need to do that for the sake of everybody else on board the vessel. The last thing he said to them in his little three-point mini-sermon, and this staggered me. I actually had to read this and reread this to understand. He told them, let's eat together. Just put yourself on that ship for a minute. It's tempestuous. I mean, it's not like just windy. It's, it's tempestuous. The seas, the wind, the storm, it's all happening. You know, everybody on that ship knows if this doesn't go well, we're dead. And Paul says, let's just sit down and have a meal together. I'm sure the cook was like, oh, cool, one last duty for me. <laughs> one last opportunity to serve everybody and then we're going to eat and die. And I'm sure some of the other people on board were like, are you kidding? You you won't let the sailors leave and now you want us to sit down and eat together? You see, Paul understood that for everybody to make it through their storm required unity. And he understood that uh, there, there could be a supernatural dynamic as they ate together in that united spirit of we're in this together. We need everybody here to survive. I wonder if we have that revelation. Look around this room. Do you have a revelation that you need everybody here to survive? See, it makes it really easy for us to stay together and to eat together when we have a revelation of our dependence on one another for survival. (laughs) If we want to maintain, sustain, increase the presence of God, we need each other. So for the sake of unity... What are the adjustments we need to make? What do we need to do? And uh, I'm so dumb. (laughs) What I don't want to do is say, you know, when they have this unity message and then somebody goes over to you and says, I just want to release you and say, I'm so sorry, you know, I've held this. (laughs) If they don't know you're already offended, maybe don't tell them. (laughs) Just let it go in your own heart because... Otherwise, they might walk away from that one. They're offended that you were offended. (laughs) It's called secondhand offense. Let's not cause any secondhand offense. But can we take a moment to just have a look around and say, God, I thank you for every person in this room. Whether I like them, whether I don't like them, whether I know them or whether I don't know them, the fact that they're seated here in this room today means that they're on my ship. And I need them. And I need to do whatever it takes to maintain unity to sustain the presence of God. 